Hello and welcome to another Countryside programme here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. And it's uh, daffodil and spring lamb time of the year, isn't it, and the farms? It's a really lovely time of year, Simon, and it won't be long till the clocks change as well. Yeah, and uh, that it's always one because, you know, it affects humans in different ways, doesn't it? But the animals can be wondering what's going on. Oh, Roosters, this... what on earth? <laughs> you know, and cows, they want feeding. They're thinking, hey, come on, they're cheap, don't they? Different time of day, mm. this is it. But it is always lovely, isn't it? You know, the, the green shoots are coming. The, like you say, the daffodils are out and uh, seeing the spring lambs around the countryside it is always a, a real nice feeling, isn't it? It really gets you ready for the, the summer ahead of us. Yes, and I'll be finding out more on this week's programme about the sala, which is um, the Asian unicorn, they tell it, a type of antelope or deer. And uh, there's two guest speakers on the island at the St Mark's Country Park who were invited there, uh, Douglas Richardson and Simon Hedges, and they were telling me all about it. And Lorraine, of course, as well. She was um, uh, the one who uh, got in touch with me about this uh, event that was on. And I went along and listened. Just caught the end of it, but some interesting questions at the end, which were, were very interesting as well. And it's just nice to hear about people so um, willing to help and promote these animals that we don't really know much about especially the other parts of the world where uh, they're very very endangered and very little's known about them that's it raising money to put towards the, the looking after them or open the technology so you can monitor them and keep an eye on them or even breeding programs it's always essential and to spread the word there's lots of people that would love to get involved and uh, do their bit to to save this endangered animal because there is quite a few species around the world now that uh, are nearly extinct so that they're trying their best but it's always a race against time isn't it yeah and one thing on a, on a lighter note it's a similar sort of thing you know we, we have plants and um, vegetables and all sorts of things that people home grow with their allotment or they're just their gardens and uh, the laxi seed swap is one such event where these things can crop up as well and they can get advice they really do. And last year, there was a couple of rare species of seeds turn up and, and it did leave the organisers puzzled. And, you know, they're really well-established growers and gardeners there in Tanya Anderson and Brenda Killick. But uh, it did re- leave them reeling. And I wonder this year how they got on with the, the various species that they did plant. And it is always a great turnout too, Sam, with a good raffle and, and uh, cakes in the afternoon too. It is. And you can hear all that in full now in Countryside. <laughs> Firstly, Kiri, a uh, little bit of a worrying thing to mention about. We can't talk too much about it, obviously, because uh, the Isle of Man Constabulary will be involved in it. But uh, people pinching hay, and uh, it's been a tough enough year without people having to to come and confront that, isn't it? It is a pretty poor trick to be doing. And there is a little bit of hay and straw around. And, you know, various hauliers and and different merchants do have contacts. And it's such a shame that this is happening on our island. And, you know, this is one thing you don't normally hear about. But, uh, yeah, that's terrible news. Yeah, I remember up at uh, Derby there, there was a couple of farms around the estates up at Derby years ago. People used to pinch an odd turnip and things from them. But uh, I think it was more survival instinct than anything there but uh, you know there, there are lots of important items and bits and pieces around farms that are 
are so important they may not seem it to people well this is right someone's fodder is absolutely crucial especially now the weather's turned a little bit colder again but uh, you know winter's not over till it's over and normally it's out towards the end of april and that fodder would have been spoken for so it's, it's a poor thing to be doing but it's a sign of the times i suppose you know once we'd leave our cars and sheds all unlocked but now it, it makes you question you know lock things away quad bikes and tractors you don't know what's going on around the countryside unfortunately no and this time of year of course we'll just give it a mention uh because uh, it's bound to crop up in the next few months. Uh, lots of farmers lambing now as well at this time of year. Yeah, very busy time ahead. You're the in the dogs, of- the worry. It is a very big worry, but uh, yeah, keep keep your dogs on leads and, and be very vigilant around the countryside, especially now that the bit of heat will come and the sheep will get on their backs too. So do keep an eye out for any sheep on their backs and uh, inform the farmer or, or get some help because uh, they don't last too long there and uh, great help is needed. No, oh, indeed. Well, if I mentioned a Sala to you, would you know what I was talking about? I really wouldn't. Well, they are classed as the Asian unicorns and uh, they're a type of antelope type of animal. And uh, they only have been spotted in Vietnam in a place called, a country called Laos, which obviously is next door to it. And uh, these uh, have been studied by many people only since their discovery quite quite recently, really, in in terms of, you know, animal discovery in years. And uh, there was a talk um, held at the St. Mark's Country Park. uh, And I went along to find out and I got a chat with two of the guest speakers uh, who were there on the day, uh, Simon Hedges, but firstly, Douglas Richardson. And I spoke to him, and he's had many years of dealing with captive breeding and uh, involved in zoos and conservation projects worldwide for over 40 years. And firstly, I asked him uh, how come the trip on the Isle of Man came about. We were asked to come over um, and uh, talk to um, some people and actually try and raise a little bit of awareness um, about Saula and uh, and the need for conservation assistance. Now, Saula, I must admit, it's something I've never really heard of before. Um, just describe what type of animal it is. Well, I mean, not many people had heard of it, and it was only actually became known to the outside world in 1993. So that that close to, to now. Well, <laughs> well, that was the fascinating thing that something as re- as big as a, a sow, like imagine something about the size of a pony um, at shoulder height, but with long, uh, straight horns. Um, occurring in countries that had been very well explored. So, yeah, it was something of a surprise when they when they uh, came to light. Now, the worrying thing is there doesn't appear to be many of them left. No, it's, um, I mean, basically they've gone from discovery to critically endangered and nearly extinct in 20 years. Um, and the problem is, is that traditional protection in the wild has not worked and much of that is down to the level of the wildlife trade in Indochina. There's a a mountain strip called the Annamites that basically skirts the border north to south uh, between Vietnam and Laos and it's only in those forest pockets along that mountain ridge um, where the species is found. Um, they've never been in any zoos um, in the West or in, indeed in captivity anywhere outside of those two countries. How endangered are they? Well, the, the formal classification is critically endangered. 
I suppose a more precise one would be um, very close to extinction, would uh, more accurately describe their status. Does anyone know the real amount that's left? The problem, the problem with forest species is they are, it's, they're really hard to count, so you're making uh, informed estimates based on the available evidence. And in the case of the Salwa, there is a, an, uh, uh, an increasingly smaller amount of evidence, be it photo traps or um, stories from local villagers or whatever. So um, I th we are at that, you know, one minute to midnight on the extinction clock as far as the Salwa is concerned. Really? Um, obviously, they are very hard to track. Um, I mean, even for the local hunters that work at, that operate in these areas, um, they're not a common uh, prey item. Um, but what we do know, and this is true of many um, forest hoofed animals, um, they actually do tame down really well. Um, they're not as nervous as a, a plains living gazelle is, for example. They get used to people very quickly. So uh, there's a little bit of a, an interesting dichotomy behaviorally there. And what's, what are they getting hunted for? Are, are they of value um, horn-wise and things like that? Well, th this is the interesting thing, is that almost every type of wildlife in Indochina has a, a value, be it as a food item or as um, uh, an ingredient for traditional medicine. Um, but the Saola is not a targeted species, which makes it even more extraordinary that they are as rare as they are. What, why, why are they getting rarer? Well, the, the primary method for um, collecting wildlife for use um, in the region is using wire snares. And wire snares do not discriminate between a saula, a bear, a small deer or a monkey. Um, so they're being caught um, um, inadvertently. Right. So, of course, you've, you've been, say, been involved in, in saving uh, endangered species in the past, and what, what can you do for the sala? Well, the, and the situation is so dire that really the only um, uh, um, viable alternative we have now is to actually capture as many sala as we possibly can and bring them into purpose-built uh, uh, conservation breeding facilities. And we're about to start uh, building the first one in Vietnam. So we're in a situation where we have no choice but to um, uh, use captive breeding because conservation in the wild has not worked. And people, uh, some people are against this type of thing, but uh, as you say there, it seems to be the only way forward for this. And it seems to have worked with other species, doesn't it? Well, exactly. I mean, uh, um, the Saola, though it looks like an antelope, is actually more related to wild cattle. And the very first managed um, species zoo animal, if you like, uh, was the European bison. And that became extinct in, the ni in 1926 in the wild. Luckily, there was some animals in captivity. And now there's about 4,000 living back out in the wild, but had it not been for the captive population, the European bison would be extinct today. And so we want to learn from that particular species lesson and apply what we can to Salah.
And it, I heard you you're talking about the, the condors and play, things like that in America that were nearly gone on people, and it was only sort of went to a, a bit of a government vote, didn't it? Well, I mean, there was actually, a, with the California condor, which is a large um, vulture, um, there was actually a court case. They, the San Diego Zoological Society and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had decided they had to catch the last 11 condors and um, a major conservation organization, the Sierra Club, took them to court because they felt that the condor should be allowed to go extinct with dignity. Um, luckily, they did not win their court case, and from a personal point of view, I'm not sure there's that much dignity in becoming extinct. Well, Simon Hedges, let's get a chat with you uh, about the Sala because uh, what I've been hearing, you've, you've been out in the field with them, tracking them and finding out more about them. Um, yes, I have spent quite a lot of um, my time over the years, over the last couple of decades, um, working in Southeast Asia, including in the range of the Saolar in, in Laos particularly. Um, but it is a very, very elusive animal, as you probably heard in Doug's uh, presentation. No field biologist has actually seen with their own eyes a wild Saolar in the forest. There have been some caught um, and kept in villages um, and in government buildings for, for brief periods before unfortunately they died and obviously then they were seen and there's now with increasing use of camera traps automatic cameras in the forest there are a number of photographs of the animal in the wild but no as I say no field biologist no Wester or, or indeed um, Lao or Vietnamese scientist has seen them with their own eyes in the wild so you've spent a lot of time out there not had the pleasure yet um, not yet no I've seen plenty of other things in the forest including lots and lots of snares which is one of the very big threats um, industrial level snaring across the, um, the Anamite mountain range um, is a massive threat to all of the wildlife including Zola and in some cases I think um, local people are snaring to survive um, but that's increasingly rare these days um, probably not at all true in Vietnam and not particularly true I don't think very much anymore in Laos. Um, people are snaring for bushmeat because of bushmeat has a sort of premium value people like it um, in preference to meat they can buy in, um, in the market um, but they don't have to it's, this is not very often subsistence um, hunting it's it's hunting because it's a traditional thing to do they like doing it and there's a sort of premium on the meat but it's not to stop people starving in most cases you've gone out there obviously on with the with the vision of trying to get these numbers back up i mean how do the locals take people like uh, you know coming over and and trying to do something like that is it a bit of a mix? Yeah, you know, very much a mix. Yeah, obviously, I mean, like in any culture, there are some people who who uh, are supportive of conservation, and other people who are not particularly interested in it. Maybe some people who are actually opposed to it. Um, direct opposition to conservation is actually pretty rare. Um, a lot of people, you know, including particularly the, the poorer people, have, have got immediate day-to-day problems to deal with. Um, you know, a lot of the people in Laos live in very remote villages. Access to, to health um, services and so on is difficult. And so that, that's more their kind of immediate priority, which is entirely understandable. But there's very little opposition to conservation. Um, and in conservation well-managed should allow for people to coexist with wildlife. Um, the Lao law allows certain species to be hunted. So, for example, some of the deer species can be hunted. Um, so it's, it's, it's essential that conservationists address that and make sure that local people can get some benefit from, from conservation areas they're living in or next to. So being, for example, able to hunt certain species at a sustainable level 
to provide the meat if they need meat for subsistence or um, even if it's just for that you know premium of, of bush meat that they like to eat and that, that isn't necessarily incompatible with conservation um, a well-managed conservation area with zones can allow for certain areas which are totally protected other areas where people can um, hunt traditionally and so on what we need to avoid is the indiscriminate industrial blanket level snaring which is what we see at the moment and actually often in in Laos it's it's people coming in from Vietnam doing it it's not local people doing it Uh, local people in Laos in my experience tend to fish quite a lot there's a lot of fishing going on people Lao people really like fishing um, to eat the fish they like camping out in the forest and eating fish Um, they obviously are doing some snaring but in some of the key protection areas now in in Laos the the threat is actually outsiders coming in and doing it um, to take back and sell the meat in, in Vietnam. Um, so but, but, but your, your, your type of work, uh, even away from the Salas, has probably took you to many places around the world. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of my life um, working on elephants. And I've, I've been working on conservation for just over 30 years. Um, 18 of those was working on elephants in Asia and Africa for the Wildlife Conservation Society. So I have travelled you know, very extensively across Asia and Africa working on uh, a variety of elephant projects, um, helping to reduce poaching for ivory, helping to reduce uh, human-elephant conflict, because one of the big problems with elephants is they, you know, people in the West think they're gentle giants, actually they're not. They're living next door to elephants is actually pretty frightening and can be dangerous, and elephants can come out and trash your whole years or a whole season's harvest in one night and of course that is devastating for a you know a poor farmer in Indonesia or India or Kenya or somewhere so one of the key problems we have to deal with is this so-called human elephant conflict um, so I spent a lot of my life um, working with local people trying to come up with novel ways of keeping elephants out of their fields <laughs> how not to upset them <laughs> yeah how not to upset them yeah. Um, yeah how not to upset the elephants but also how not to uh, allow them to come and eat things willy-nilly around protected areas which you know produces a massive um, level of anger understandable anger towards the elephants elephants then get killed in retaliation Um, so it's a it's a very big conservation problem as well as a you know social problem for people but projects like that um, um, working with the the people from the countries and you know studying the animals Mm -hmm. uh, like the elephant projects it's it is working though isn't it Working in some places and not in others. Um, as with anything like that, I think it's a, it's a mixed bag. And I think one should always remember that conservation is a, a kind of a crisis discipline. Um, we're often dealing as a conservation community with animals which are living at very, or plants, or you know, other, um, all kinds of wildlife, um, all kinds of biodiversity. And many, many species are at very low levels, and that's when conservationists tend to get involved. Um, and so inevitably there's, there's quite a lot of failure as well as some successes. Um, I think we need to increase the proportion of successes, um, and particularly in Asia, particularly in Southeast Asia, um, the number of successes, successes are actually quite small. Um, and so I think there's some very serious thought needs to be given how to do conservation more effectively um, in Southeast Asia, how to deal with the snaring problem, how to deal with um, industrial agriculture like palm oil plantation, oil palm plantations rather, coconut plantations, these kind of things. These are how to minimise conflict with people because obviously there's a very large number of people living in Asia. Um, and so we desperately need more imaginative, more effective ways of allowing for human wildlife coexistence. It's vital that um, the message has gone out there for how important it is to, to save biodiversity, um, both for its own sake, but also for you know, humanity's sake as well. 
Um, we're reliant on biodiversity. We're reliant on the planet. We can't we can't trash the planet with no consequences to ourselves. So it's not just saving wildlife for wildlife's sake. It's saving wildlife um, to the, for the benefit of everyone, including people as well as wildlife. Simon Hedges and before that Douglas Richardson who were two of the speakers at a a wonderful talk um, at the St Mark Country Park um, there just uh, on the outskirts of St Mark's and uh, wonderful facilities there they've got plenty of uh, uh, rare old breeds there Graham and the team haven't they but uh, to invite these guests over and to hear such endangered species uh, like that that uh, you know weren't really discovered till um, the early 1990s it is such a worry that there's so many animals that are becoming endangered species or even some of them more recently extinct as well so a lot of work going on behind the scenes trying to you know make breeding programs hopefully to keep these um, animals established but graham is very good at, at picking out some rare breeds for his park there for us all to enjoy and go and see and hopefully he's able to keep the numbers in it and increase slowly and and uh, avoid the extinction of some of these rare breeds yeah, indeed, and of course, both of them saying that the one of the difficult bits is that you know there is so many people in the world, you know, saying, "Oh, don't be keeping um, things in zoos and parks and places like that." Um, but you know, if, if like he said, you know, on the stroke of midnight the next day, there could be we haven't seen any of these while they're None gone. left. And for people to say that they should go extinct with dignity. I don't know, something wrong. Um, If you want more details, uh, you can go to one of the websites, which is www.savethesala.org. And that is uh, Sala, spelled S-A-O-L-A. Or you can send an email to salawg at gmail.com and there'll be plenty on the websites as well where you can do your bit to help out. Uh, you did your bit to help out at the, the seed swap. Yes, the annual seed swap and plant share in Laxey is always a great turnout of, of growers and gardeners and children and just people wanting to get green fingered and, and have a go of, of growing something new for the year. You've been a few years now, though, Kiri, haven't you? I've been a couple of times once before, and you, you think there's only going to be one or two people with a with a couple of bags of seed wanting something for nothing, but it isn't nothing like that, is it? They're all keen to find out, oh, you've grown these, how did you get on? Oh, yeah, the, the chat about different species and, and rare plants and common plants and different recipes to make out of your various tomatoes. It's so interesting and, and like-minded, but they're so friendly and keen to pass on the knowledge to beginners as well, so... That's where the enthusiasm filters down to the children that attend that day. And it's great to see Laxey and London Allotment Association putting this on annually. And I, Tanya Anderson, another great success here at the Seed Swap and Plant Share. It must take hours of organising from you. I think to start off with the Seed Swap, it did take a lot of planning and organising. Brenda and I have been doing this for years, though, and it's pretty much, now it's clockwork. And it makes it so much more enjoyable for us and everyone else who's here. Everyone knows how it works. It's simple, which is, I think, key for an event like this. Yeah, it's great. But the donations today, Tanya, I believe they're going to a great cause. Yes. So all the donations today and all the money that we are collecting from the raffle and the quiz are going towards the Laxey Allotment Shed and other projects that we'll have this year. And it's great because we desperately need the funds for it. At our site, we don't have individual sheds on pots. So we have to provide a space for people to keep their tools and keep them out of the elements. And it's also a place where we can also share seeds and plants as well on a regular basis as an association. 
So it's, it is a really important hub to our allotments. I believe, Tanya, this year that the tables are fuller than ever with seeds and plants that are partly grown. It's brilliant, isn't the, it? Yeah, the generosity of people bringing in extra seeds and plants, it's amazing. And there's always so many more left over than we know what to do with. And so we always donate the seeds to a good cause. And we will likely donate them to a couple of, of organizations, but one of them is we'll be do donating seeds to the Isle of Man prison for their vegetable gardens. So in years past, we've also donated to the Children's Center Community Farm. We also donated one year to an allotment that's run for homeless people on the Isle of Man. So there's lots of initiatives that could use the seeds. And so we like to, to choose different ones and to help support the community from the, from the support that we get ourselves. And it's, it's quite simple, isn't it? The, the method in, in the whole of this today. It really reflects the personality of Isle of Man people in that it's all based on honesty. You come in through the door, you organize your seeds, you take what you need, you leave a, leave a donation if you'd like. And I've heard of, of other seed swaps in other places that people will kind of be a bit cheeky with taking more. But we've never had that problem here. There's so much and people are just so kind and generous. Um, Tanya, may I ask, what is your favorite green? Like, What, what do you really like about your garden? I love berries, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, thornless blackberries. I have lots of berries. They're my favorite. Yeah. And are they difficult to grow? No. I love perennials, so that basically fruits and veggies that come back year after year. It really saves a lot of time. And with berries, you get an awesome reward in the summer. And like Brenda, she enjoys eating her own food. Is, is that something you really enjoy? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But it's the entire garden to plate experience so that nurturing of seeds and plants and raising them and harvesting them and then cooking them and perhaps even preserving them it really brings you back to the soil to the land it's great for mental health it's great for stress levels you know it's, it's got so many yes. benefits but not only that it, the wildlife the manx wildlife is still in abundance isn't it but with places like this that are creating the environment when we first started our allotment in 2010 there were no birds, there was nothing. There were some rabbits running around. And now it is absolutely just, it's singing with birds and hedgehogs and all sorts of frogs. I've got actual frog spawn in my little pond right now. Gosh, wow. they've, all, they've all hatched, <laughs> got tadpoles. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So it's just creating such an, a wonderful place, isn't it? Not just for wildlife, but for yourself and everything that for everyone. Yes. Yeah. Ruth Brown, it's lovely to see you here at the Seed Pot and Plant Chair. What makes you come each year? Well, it's a first sort a couple of years ago advertised, and it just seemed a brilliant idea because, again, bits of seeds to swap was handy. And uh, usually I've got plants I can split and bring. So bring them and it's just nice to share things with other people but it's a very social event by the looks of it. Oh it really is. So you must be quite green fingered at home so you'll be looking out for things to add to your garden. Indeed yes yeah, yeah this is it. And what do you particularly like about the, the plants that come here? Is there very different varieties or, you know, would you find them in the normal garden centres? Well, I suppose you would do, but uh, it's just sometimes there's something and you think, oh, I've not seen that one for years. And then it's lovely to take it home and put it in your garden and let it spread. And it's even better because it's just a donation. Oh, well, that's exactly it. And a lot of the plants, they look really, really healthy and they're quite well established. Ideal for young people trying to get into the, into the business. Oh, this is it. Great. Because most of them, the things that are split up, they'll grow very easily. So it'd be easy to, for them to put in the garden and grow. So do you think this is a good idea? I think it's excellent, yes. I don't know if they do it anywhere else or not. Mm. I've not heard, I believe it's nearly its 10th year of doing this oh, and well. to have this amount of people still in attendance. That's right, and we've come a long way, they're right from the other side of the island to get here. You know? <laughs> 
Heidi, you've come to do a lovely demonstration here at the uh, Cedar Swap and Planche. It's a bit manic at the moment, but what a great turnout. Oh, I know, it's amazing. It's absolutely packed. Um, there's so many people here and there's loads and loads of seeds to share or swap or donate for. Yeah. So it's quite inspiring, actually. I'm feeling like I really want to get into the garden and yeah, get cracking. The time of year is on, I suppose, I know, isn't it? Yeah. And your demonstration is the other side of it. It's using up the produce that all these plants yes. grow, isn't it? Once it's grown, um, I was thinking of doing like a tomato and red pepper soup because lots of people can grow those over here. And then there's pea and mint soup, which is really nice. And you can do all sorts of things yeah. in the Thermomix. So you can make salads and everything mm -hmm. as well. And uh, I brought my little boy down for him to join in and see what it's all about. <laughs> so the mixing that you're actually using, this is really, really modern. It's for the likes of me that's not very good to cook, but it's ideal, isn't it, for the family? Yes, it's brilliant. It's called the Thermomix. And um, it's a super blender with over 12 different functions. So it actually does blend and grind and grate things, but also um, cooks, weighs, makes um, dough and steams as well. So, you know, it's brilliant. You can just throw it all in. Because it weighs it, you can just add in the onions, chop them, then saute them, then add in all the other ingredients. And, you know, hey, presto, you've got the soup ready-made, ready to go. Isn't that lovely? Because one time you'd be there chopping away, you know, have you got the right ingredients? Mm. It takes a lot of time, doesn't it? Whereas this is actually cutting out that altogether. Yes, it is. And actually, you can even pick recipes from their website email all the ingredients to your phone and then follow the on screen so if you can't cook then it enables you to cook and if you can cook then it can take it to the next level so lots of chefs and restaurants have them as well but they're just as well used in domestic use as well yeah Brenda, what a wonderful afternoon we're having here at the Laxey Sailing Club. Yet again, a full house. It's been pretty good. I don't know if we're victims of our own success, actually, because we did advertise quite heavily this year, and obviously people read the papers, dinosaurs like myself, who don't have Facebook. Um, so it's been very successful, and we're really, really pleased. And it's lovely to see lots of donations. You know, People are bringing these plants off their own accord just to swap and change and... And the little money pots are filling up, but everyone's so happy. Well, it's, it's, it's a social occasion, really, isn't it? We, we meet these people once a year, and people have said, oh, can't you do it more often? I'm not sure if that's practical. And the lovely thing I felt was when I was going around the table looking in the boxes of seeds, I was getting so much advice. People would just talk to me and say, oh, you know, that's a really good hardy plant for outside, and, and that's exactly the advice we need. We are full of it. Yeah. Whatever it may be, we are definitely <laughs> full of it. No, it's, it's good because, you, you know, you might have problems and someone else has gone through the same thing and, you know, you help each other. It's a really nice little community. I mean, it's growing, but we do help each other. And it's nice to see the same faces every year. I think this is the eighth year we've done it now. I don't know where that time's gone, but obviously it's successful. Yeah, this is it. And what do you particularly like growing, Brenda? Because like, there's so much choice in here. There's, you know, the, for the beginners, for the most established. Is your garden the most flowery one in the summer months? Nobody would make a wonderful couch grass lawn because it's taken over this winter and I'm battling against it. But, you know, it's the usual. Now I, I grow what I want to eat rather than experimenting every year and being devastated when it doesn't work. So first of all, dig the weeds up, try and get the couch grass out, and just, I just love it. So you say you grow your own veggies, in, what does that feel like when you're cooking your own stuff that you've grown and put all that hard work into? Do you know what the biggest, very childish thrill is? Being able to walk down the aisle in Tesco thinking, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that, and I don't have to buy anything. And I know, no chemicals involved, I know what's gone on to it, perfect. And I think that's what's 
hitting home quite a lot more now. Local produce, support the local industries. You know exactly what you grow. You know it's only coming from the farmer up on the hill. It's just simple, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um, people could do so much more, even if they haven't got an allotment or a garden, even if it's just a pot. And that's the way things are going now. People with balconies who don't have gardens, they're starting to take an interest and grow maybe a few tomatoes. Well, that's just the beginning. And they might progress to an allotment or go on one of our waiting lists for one. Well, this is true. And today, Brenda, like you've just said, there's children here, but there's a lot of middle 30s to 40s, you know, people that wouldn't, my generation, wouldn't really take an interest. And it's lovely to see that, you know, that they want to make a difference at home. In the old days, an allotment, it was a load of old men in flat caps with sheds. And now we, in, in the Douglas site, we've just got um, a new sort of influx of people. And they're young, they've got families, and it's nice to see the kids coming up and helping. You know, it's, it's, it's changed, and more ladies, dare I say, very sexist, but more women are involved now. Because it did used to be old men with sheds. And it's changed dramatically. It really has. It's a, it's a really lovely change, though, Brenda, surely. Definitely, definitely. And we've got a lot to be thankful for here also with this brilliant raffle yet again i've got my tickets <laughs> well yeah it helps to you know we, we we pitch it against the costs because we do have to pay for the room and for advertising what have you but this year um most of the money will be going to the lala laxi and lonan allotments because they are not allowed to have sheds on their allotments they have a community shed and it's falling to pieces so this will help them to get a new one isn't that wonderful it really is oh well good luck and I hope my ticket comes out on top <laughs> so do I and it's nice to see you again that was Tanya Anderson and Brenda Killick from the Seed Swap and Plant Share and some of the people in attendance yes uh, plenty because it's that time of year where people want to be cracking on with getting out in the gardens isn't it that hasn't been too bad I suppose weather wise no that's right mm. some of the seedlings have been planted already and like you say it, you can have a window box a, a country garden anything it doesn't really matter how big or small you can always have room to grow something colorful and help the bees mm. do you keep any plants at home in the house we not in the house but we have mm. a, a a nice array of daffodils at the minute we like to plant a few bulbs each year and uh, bring a bit of color to the farm uh, come the springtime it definitely cheers everybody's mood <laughs> Well, there we go. Uh, that was this week's Countryside programme. Um, similar themes. I mean, some some plants, I suppose, are, are getting endangered as well over the years, aren't they? Vegetables, you know. This it's, is it. They go through phases of being fashionable and yeah. maybe not so fashionable. And um, it's great now that they chat about the wonky vegetables that turn up in the supermarkets. It's only what we grow in allotments in gardens at home. So why chuck them out? And it's nice to see them using them and, and the different types of species of plants. And you don't have to have a big garden to have a, a wonderful show. Just a few plant pots by the door. Who would ever say on the Isle of Man it's the wrong shape? Exactly. I say so. OK, uh, we'll be back next week with more from the countryside. So for me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermode. We'll see you then. Ta-da. Bye-bye.